Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morcus, and today I sit down with Eric Bandholtz, the founder of Beard Brand. Beard Brand is an American men's grooming company based in Austin, Texas, and sells products for grooming, styling, maintaining of beards, hair, skin, and mustaches. And it was founded in 2014 by Eric Bandholtz, who later would appear on Shark Tank, though he did not walk away from Shark Tank with an investment, which is also partly why I brought Eric on the show today, because he's such a stunning example of somebody who bootstrapped something from scratch, believed in it, worked incredibly hard, was dedicated, and demonstrated that slow, consistent growth, a little bit at a time, can really be a game changer and, and create just amazing brands and businesses. And that's what Beard Brand is now today, a thriving, successful, multi-million dollar business and uh, even though Eric went through some ups and downs, he was able to make that happen from scratch, from what started as just an idea and basically a $30 investment. So in today's episode, we talk a little bit about that, but I actually brought Eric on the call today to talk about how he has been able to bootstrap this company, keep its mission and its vision, and maintain a certain level of quality and excellence in the work he's doing and still live a life that he loves to live, uh, kind of like a lifestyle design Q&A uh, transpires in today's conversation because I wanted to understand how Eric finds that balance in his life with his business and how he orients himself in that way. So today's conversation will be a little bit different, but I hope you guys like it. And uh, if you do, make sure to share it and leave a review on iTunes. All right. Thanks a lot. And without further ado, let's get to today's conversation. So Eric, let's kick things off. I want a little backstory, if you can, um, on, on beer brand. Now, you know, that's obviously your thing. It's a very big thing now, but kind of the, the origin story of it. How'd you come up with the idea? Um, what was your background? Were you an entrepreneur before? Or, you know, were you in physical products at all? Give, give maybe some, some of the listeners some context of how you, how you got started with beard brand. Yeah, I'll try to give you the, the two-minute summary of uh, what we're doing. I used to be a, a financial advisor at a big bank. And I really kind of hated working there. And one of the things that bothered me most about working there was this implied desire or this implied rule that you had to look a certain way. And it was a way that I didn't really connect with or identify with, specifically around like shaving your beard. So I uh, quit working there to, to start up this, uh, let's call it like a marketing firm and grew my beard out. And in the process of growing my beard out, I'd still go to networking events. And and business-related events, and everyone called me like Duck Dynasty and ZZ Top and Grizzly Adams. And, you know, those are all cool dudes, but they're not guys that I identify with. I ended up going to this um, event, like a beard-related event, where I started meeting other guys like me who weren't your typical bearded dude. And I realized there's this whole community of, of what I ended up calling them as urban beardsmen. So I'm urban beardsman number one, and it's basically a community of, of guys that didn't fit the traditional stereotype of, of a bearded guy. Now, this was back in 2012. So Beard Brand was going to be a way to unite urban beardsmen and give them the tools they needed to feel confident about uh, rocking a beard. And that meant both caring for it, but also like kind of the psychological things that go behind displaying yourself to the world as, as you want to be displayed. And then, um, you know, after a year of creating like YouTube content, and Tumblr blog, we ended up um, converting our website from a blog to an e-commerce store and started selling beard grooming products. And then the beard grooming products grew into hair products and skin products. So uh, as of today, we're uh, a total uh, men's grooming company. So if you're a dude 
uh, I've, I've got products to offer to you and uh, we'd love for you guys to, to check us out. But we're entirely bootstrapped out of two business partners and uh, we appeared on Shark Tank back in 2014 and uh, just been grinding, you know, grinding by uh, creating content on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is over a million subscribers now and uh, it's been a fun ride. It's been been really cool ride. Yeah. And so, so there's some context uh, for the timeline there. You said uh, you started by, well, you was just kind of your curiosity led you to that. So then you started a blog. If I, if I understood that correctly, you started a blog kind of just creating content around kind of, you know, keeping what, keeping care of your, your beard. Is that kind of how it started? You kind of just producing a blog? Yeah. So it was, uh, I had three properties. Uh, we launched in February of 2012. Uh, so on the domain beardbrand.com, it was a WordPress website. I had blog content that was, you know, how to take care of your beard, how to grow your beard. And essentially at the time I was the only person writing about that stuff. And, and because of that, I was discovered by a, a reporter for the New York times who, who quoted me in a New York times article. So that was pretty, pretty, we used that as a catalyst to, to kind of start the brand and have the authority of our, our company as seen on New York times. And we also had, a, at the time, we had a Tumblr blog where we would use that for style inspiration, uh, photos of, of bearded people and, and just kind of like the urban beardsman and the image that we were going for. And then um, we also, at the time, had a YouTube channel where we were, I mean, let's be real, I, I think I created like six videos that first year. So it was a very, um, um, but of those six videos, one of them did, did extremely well. And we kind of used that video as inspiration for the type of content that we should be creating. And so you said six figures that was, but that was before the product, right? So was that just on like, um, advertising or had you guys actually, you did release a product? Yeah. So in 2012, we just had the blog and the YouTube channel and the Tumblr page. And then in January of 2013 is when we launched e-commerce store purely as an e-commerce store, we would simply sell other products. And then in May of 2013 is when we launched our first product. Okay. Okay. That, that gives some, some useful context. And I know so some people might already know you from Shark Tank. It's always kind of an interesting point, I think, of conversation. Um, in, this, in the summary of it, you went on, you didn't, you didn't get any funding from anyone. Yeah. Spoiler. I mean, if you haven't seen this now, <laughs> when's it five years later? Um, no, the, the Sharks were pretty nice to me and, and they, they saw the success that we had. And I had done my research and we had grown quicker than, you know, like 95% of other contestants contestants or entrepreneurs who appeared on the show. And uh, I thought our valuation was very fair for where we were doing. And, you know, they, I think they saw that, but uh, none of them stepped up to the plate to make offers. And, you know, they weren't assholes to me. You know, they were just pretty much like, we like you, but we, we don't really see the potential in the marketplace. Mm. It's just so interesting. And you guys had, at that point, you had sales to back it up. So you actually had, it wasn't like, here's just an idea, but it's like, here's our track record. Yeah, we were, I think at the time of recording, we were about um, 18 months into the business. And by that time we were doing, um, it was probably like a $1.2 million business run rate, you know, uh, within 18 months, which I think is, uh, pretty, pretty challenging for a lot of businesses to do, especially when it's bootstrapped. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. Cause you know, like, I feel like on that show too, when you see them like make offers, a lot of times it's like, Oh yeah. When somebody's coming in with an idea, it's like, yeah, pretty obviously like that you can see them passing on something like that. They often do zoom in on like the financials. The fact that you actually had it backed up, it may, maybe, I guess it sounds like one of the things was like, we just don't see where this goes from here. Like maybe it stays a good solid $1 million a year business or 2 million or something like that. They didn't see growth potential like you did. Yeah. So that's, that's essentially what Mark Cuban said was, you know, I can see it growing to a, a $5 million business, but can't really see growth beyond that. Um, which is, a, I mean, I think that's a fair point. And uh, I think he's wrong. I know he's wrong <laughs> because uh, we've passed that mark already, but um, you know, it's, it's you're every time you're in business, you're always going to get people that, that don't see the, the same vision that you see. And, you know, you're either going to be right or you're going to be wrong. And typically you're going to be right if you can execute, which is a lot more important than the ideas. Yeah. And so what was your intention when you went on there? I know some people, obviously there's like a, sometimes like a marketing bump um, on the, on the back end. I think there's probably very, I would assume there's very few entrepreneurs who would go in specifically for that, but maybe. Um, so tell me a little, like, what was your thought process, I guess, be, behind like actually applying um, to get on the show in the first place? Yeah. I mean, we're very proud of, of our company and, and what we've built and the, the customers and audience who we've really been able to inspire and help and uh, being able to to share that message with a larger audience and being able to uh, partner up with people who can take that message to a larger audience was really a, a big part of our strategy early on. So for us to, to be able to have the opportunity to, to partner with someone with the, the cloud that the Sharks have, and, and as well as to, to be able to tell our story in front of 7 million people was a very awesome thing to do. In addition to that, uh, we recognize that there are a lot of new players in the space who are trying to, to get, get that exposure. And we also wanted to prevent other uh, competitors from getting on Shark Tank as well. So by us doing it, it prevented uh, other future entrepreneurs from essentially grabbing that, that authority that comes from being on national TV. Did you end up taking any investors afterwards? No, we're, we're still bootstrapped. It's still just me and my, my two business partners and uh, just uh, debt-free, entirely financed through through our uh, revenue and our profits and, and you know, eating, eating lean. And I mean, I think you and I share a pretty similar philosophy on, on how we spend money. So we, we try to only spend money on things that, that help the company grow and bring value to our customers. And, and profit is, is a really good indicator as to the value you're bringing in the marketplace. Yeah. And, and so in uh, a couple, couple of broader topics I want to touch on briefly, cause you've, you've done some big transitions even recently in the last like year or two. Um, and I'll, I'll point out like two of those and then maybe just kind of get your insights into it because I think it's kind of interesting. So for context, for the, obviously you guys get an idea of what Eric has done. And if you're not familiar with beer brand, you get maybe some, some of it now, like conceptually check it out. But like you guys have been like, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough market, like any kind of e-commerce, um, type store. And, and then in this niche, it's like, you know, is it, is that it even a niche that exists? You're kind of, it's kind of, I guess when you started, it might've been blue ocean. Now it's probably lots of copycats. I get that. So it's, it's incredibly difficult on that front too. You guys ended you were on Amazon, you pulled out of Amazon. Now you're selling exclusively through your site, as I understand it. And then the other, or let me, let's start there. Yeah. That's, that's what, that was a move you guys made recently, something like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. January of 2018, we decided to, or not January, but early 2018, we decided not to to sell on Amazon. After right before that, immediately before that, 
making a commitment to double down on Amazon and really grow it. But the challenge was we weren't able to, to find the right team member to, to help grow Amazon. And uh, we recognized that our, our sales on our store after pulling off Amazon essentially went up uh, a good bit. And we're like, hey, look, we're, we're making more money by not being on Amazon, which is you know, the, the five-second pitch as to, to what it was for us. And what I think happened for us on Amazon was people would would want to buy from Beard Brand and they would shop in Beard Brand and then they'd go to Amazon to see if they could get it on Amazon because they just, they trust Amazon. And what would happen is they would, you know, buy our, let's say our, our beard oil and then Amazon recommends another company for the brush and another company for the, the beard washing conditioner. And, and we would have like a, let's say a $25 average order value. Um, but on our store, we have a $50 average order value because they're buying the beard oil and then they're buying our brush and they're buying our wash and, and the products that we recommend. And um, so essentially it was very beneficial for us to, to pull off Amazon. But I, I want to correct you real quick. We're not exclusive to, to just our store. We also sell through a few uh, private and independent retailers as well as Target. Yep. Yep. Thank Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. I was thinking um, uh, online primarily, but you do you also sell then the products online for any other other retailers, digital retailers, or just you guys primarily? Um, in, in America, uh, beardbrand.com should be your only place to, to buy our products online. Yeah. Okay. So, and so that's a big transition, like, because uh, obviously Amazon is like that, that Goliath, you almost think you have to be doing business, but you guys you guys made a decision, you made a decision to, to move off the platform. And so far then in that past year, year and a half, uh, it sounds like things have been going pretty well for you guys in that regard. Like it's, it was a successful transition. Yeah. And I want to advise that to people who haven't done the same that we've done in terms of like investing in our brand, investing in education, investing in the content. Um, if you're like a, a value play, a commodity play, you're selling on price, uh, or you don't have the the marketing cloud or expertise, then Amazon's a wonderful platform to be able to reach uh, millions of potential customers and build a, an amazing, healthy, awesome business. So I know a lot of uh, my friends who have Amazon stores and they do wonderful work, and you know it's it's a great thing for them. But it's just how we wanted to build our business and how we wanted to have control over our business and control over our customer and the customer experience and, and really provide an experience that in my opinion, it far exceeds what you'll get from, from buying from Amazon um, is something that was really important to us. And so the other big move you, you made was, again, I think in the last year year or two was, well, you guys moved into Europe, but I, and I don't know when that was about, but you've, you've recently pulled out. Um, maybe you can kind of elaborate on that because I think that's a challenging decision. Like both these are big, like I look at them as like really, probably really difficult decisions for someone to make when they're so, uh, the, the impact can be millions, you know, millions made, millions lost, like those kind of moves. And especially when there's sunk cost involved. So you like, you guys did, you moved into Europe. I, I know we had a conversation about this briefly and I got the, the idea that from you was that, um, you were concerned that like it was just the market being, it was different enough where you couldn't really, you couldn't, you didn't think you could do the, maybe the same for the brand in Europe as you could just like exclusive in the US, some give or take. But but what are your thoughts on that? Maybe you can expand on that for us. Yeah, I mean, we, we got into to Europe pretty early on in our business. Like in the early days, we we're like, yeah, we're just going to take over the world. And that was kind of the strategy is like we were, when we started, no one had any familiarity with the products. So it was kind of like this land grab that we're going after. Like, we'll go after this, go after this, go after this. 
not realizing that like the, the infrastructure challenges that that was going to present as we built out our, our SKU and our inventory list and just uh, became a, a logistical uh, taxing, I mean, burden, like operational burden on, on the business. And it was something where it was kind of like the redheaded stepchild. So for us, like any kind of redheaded stepchild, we, we just have to, you know, push them out the door and, and let them go on their way. And that was kind of like Amazon for us early on. And it was kind of like the, the European market for us. So it was a very large piece of our business. Um, but when you, you boil down the P&L and, you know, all the energy and the distractions that it caused, in, in addition to like the poor, uh, I want to say poor experience, because I still think it was a good experience, but less than brand standard experience that we wanted to give to our customers. We couldn't deliver on it. So we want to come back into Europe when we really have that ability to, to give an experience that's going to be better than anything else they've ever experienced before. And part of that is like also understanding the local marketplace. Like I don't, as much as I'd like to think that British people are like us and German people are like us and French people are like us here in America, they're not, you know, they have different preferences and, you know, people in Germany, they, you know, credit is a dirty word. Like it's, it's like, you, you've stolen from someone and you're going to potentially give them back. And um, in America, like just credit is how you work. So they have like a lot of um, cash on delivery type of things, which I, I know nothing about, you know? So it's just like a whole bunch of small things like that can suck a lot of like brain resources. And yeah, I can figure it out, but I could be putting all those brain resources into making the American market grow so much more. So that was kind of the, the, the switch in our head. It's like, you know, I have scarce resources. This got to go to something. I believe there's still more opportunity in America. I want all my resources to go there because it's an easier pathway. Well, you mentioned priorities and I actually think this will be a good segue because you tweeted on uh, April 22nd. Uh, as you said, a huge issue that people struggle with is balance. You will never have balance until you have a hierarchy of priorities. For me, it's health, spirituality, Number two is wife. Number three is family. Four is business. Five is friends. Six is community. Seven is strangers, internet people. And then you said prioritize and you can find balance. And I, that kind of struck me. And I mentioned before we hit record that I thought this would be kind of an interesting thing to, to zoom in on, like how you prioritize. Because I thought if there's one thing I was left from our conversation together and just the time I spent with you um, when we met up in Atlanta was just that, yeah, this guy has his head on straight. You seem very even keel. You kind of, you know, yeah, there, there's going to be ebbs and flows in business, but you're very focused on the brand. I think that's really cool from a business perspective. But then I thought you also like understand kind of like the, the life you live too. I was like, this is really cool. So I wanted to kind of break this down. Like, you know, obviously this is something, it, it's a tweet. It's like, okay, it's, it's just that. It could be ephemeral and fleeting, but I think there's something to this. There's some substance here. You probably thought a lot about this. So I'm curious kind of how you approach your business and, and your personal life and how you kind of, you kind of marry these two up or how, how you do think about priorities and, and how that affects your business. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I'm super excited to talk about this because so many shows, they highlight like these people who are doing outrageous things and, you know, they're like Elon Musk is building all these amazing businesses and, or these athletes, right. Who just like can conquer so much. And a lot of these people are really good at putting everything to, to one thing. Right. And Elon Musk, I mean, he's got a, a failed marriage, right? You know, and and I can't speak for everyone, but but everything has its costs, right? If you want to become the greatest entrepreneur of all time, chances are you're going to be a pretty shitty dad and a pretty shitty husband. 
But it's not to say one is right or wrong, but I don't think there's a lot of people out there helping others find balance and understand that balance is an important life for the majority of people. The majority of people don't want to build like two multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, the majority of people want to have a fulfilling work life and to have a great relationship at home and to, to, to raise a family that loves and cares for them or to be around a family that loves and cares for them and uh, maybe leave a little bit of a legacy. A very, um, I would say like uh, this prioritization has been something that I've followed for, for a long period of time in my life. And it's what I kind of go back to on, on how I make decisions and, you know, like help me when I maybe feel guilt about like needing to be in two places at once, you know, like, cause it's ultimately, you know, if my wife needs me or my business needs me, I know where to go. Right. And, um, I think what's most important up there is, is number one should always be, in my opinion, yourself, because unless you take care of yourself, unless you invest in yourself, you're not going to have those same energies and resources to invest in others. And that means you have to, to take care of your body. You only, I mean, that's a hundred percent of your time spent with yourself and you only have like one body. You don't get a do over in body. You, you, you can have more businesses. You can, I mean, you can have another wife, you can have more kids or you can adopt kids, all these other things. You only have you. And uh, it's just amazing how, how many people out there don't recognize the, the value that they have to themselves and how important they, themselves are to themselves, if that makes sense. It does. And, and kind of zooming in on that piece, that's, there's a couple, couple pieces there. There's a health piece. And so obviously maybe there's, there's a diet fitness uh, related piece to it. There's obviously like a, a mental health, so to speak uh, aspect to it. You, you know, you mentioned spirituality. So like maybe things like um, uh, things you can do to, to, in, 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 especially for entrepreneurs, people who are building things, it's like, it can get really stressful. So a way to just kind of like, uh, bring it back to the body and, and keep it, you know, keep yourself in tip top shape, not just physically. And, but, but just even as, as a person, like kind of stable, am I kind of getting at that? And how do you, how do you think about that? How does, and pragmatically speaking, how do you apply it in, in your life? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, so, so from a health perspective, you know, I, I work out, you know, three to five times a week. And, um, you know, spirituality is kind of an interesting thing. And, and it's something that it took me a, a long time to, to figure out what that word meant, because I'm not a, I'm not a believer in any particular faith. I, I fall into like the non-believer, the science side of things. And, you know, um, so it'd be really interesting as a guy who doesn't believe in any higher beings, what is spirituality? And, and really it's, it's, to me, it's like, everything that that can't be explained right you have to or everything that there aren't like black and white rules like you need to have some kind of framework to, to lean upon and it's your spirituality which is going to bring that foundation to your life it is those core values it is those principles that you have and for a lot of people you know spirituality can be like a traditional religion or a church or um even like a community where you're like, oh yeah, like I like the framework of Christianity and the 10 rules that they have and how they portray the rules and, you know, how the lessons are taught through the examples of, in the Bible. And, you know, like you use that, like, this is my framework where I'm lost, I'm confused. This is where I go to, to figure it out. So I've, I've taken a lot of lessons 
from as a non-believer that it really is pretty awesome because I get to take lessons from Christianity and I get to take lessons from Buddhism and lessons from Stoicism and, and um, even lessons from like uh, libertarianism or voluntarism and kind of apply those and, and build my own spiritual foundation that I use to, to help guide me uh, through this world. What, is, what does it look like for you? Like in terms of like maybe some of those pillars or principles and, and I guess, how does that, how does that tie into the, also like to that, that prioritization of family and some of these other things and then also business too? Cause it sounds like maybe it gives you guiding. It's kind of a guiding light too, for, for both, both of those things kind of in your life. Yeah. I've got three core values and um, it's the same core values that we put in at beer brand and it's freedom, hunger, and trust. And to me, those are like the, the, the triangle of, to me, the triangle of success for lack of better terms, freedom is all about um, doing the things that I want to do, living the life that I want to live um, and being the person I want to be. It's the reason why we don't have investors. It's the reason why we don't have a lot of debt. It's the, the reason why I've built a business that allows me to travel and be uh, away from the business if I need to. It's the reason why I pay myself the amount that I pay because it allows me to, to live the life that allows me to be free. Trust is, of course, like a pillar of, of um, building good relationships and a pillar of uh, being honest and being true and, you know, being an honorable uh, person. And then hunger is like that, that drive to want to improve, to make a difference in the world, to grow. But it's really cool because, you know, if, if you go too heavy in one particular category, you start to, to neglect the other category. So the, the three of these really work well in balance, which is kind of like the start of the whole conversation is like freedom, hunger, and trust. They, they work together in this balance because if you have too much hunger, you know, you're, you're either going to be tied into the business and you're not going to be free like you are, you're going to be too driven, or, you know, you may need to do things that, that uh, maybe are questionable decisions that may hinder trust, right? You know, like you may have to put money at all ahead of all other things, um, but subsequently, like, you know, if you're too free, um, people won't trust you, right? Because you'll be a flake. You're not going to show up to meetings. You're just going to do whatever. You're going to sleep around, you know, like, and, and that's, yeah, you're free there, but but you're, you're eroding the trust of, of your loved ones around. So I really think having like uh, core principles that um, align with each other are really beneficial. And then kind of like from an outside perspective, I, I talked a little bit about this from, uh, I guess, um, influences to me, voluntarism is really a big one. And I think it kind of embodies a lot of these core values, which is essentially like, you know, if someone's doing something through voluntary measures, it's no harm to me, let them do it. They should be able to do it. And then um, try not to, to live a life where you're, you're forcing your views or your yourself onto other people. And just try to live in a try to live a life where everything is done through through voluntary measures. So another theme that I have is uh, I don't take pressure, I don't give pressure, and uh, you know a lot of that's kind of rooted in like stoicism and, and voluntarism and, and things like that, Buddhism. Yeah, this is fascinating. So and so with, with you for when it comes to balance too, like if we we kind of approach it that way, I know you mentioned like with the hierarchy. I, I thought it was kind of interesting. You said wife and then family. Tell me a little bit about why that um, when you kind of uh, organize it that way. I'm kind of kind of curious your thought process. Yeah, I mean it's um, I made a commitment to my wife to to be with her 
for the rest of my life. And um, as much as I, I love my daughter and she's the world to me, like she's not going to be in the family in 15 years or yeah, in like 15 years, she'll be out of the house living her own life. And I expect her to live her own life and, and to spend time with the people. Um, but I, I'll see it happen where, you know, uh, a mom or a dad will, will put their children ahead of their, their spouse. And that puts an intense pressure on your children. Like children are expecting uh, the mom and dad to, to be pillars of the family. And I don't think that can be the case unless you're your significant other is your highest other person in life. And that's just, again, that's the core belief of mine. And um, I think like when husband and wife work in unison and, and we make sure that our needs are met before the children, then um, it's going to be a happier, happier marriage and a happier family life. And then the children will learn and adapt, you know, like the children aren't like this super sensitive things that can't, figure stuff out. I mean, the children were working in like farms when they're like six years old, uh, you know, not even like 50 years ago or a hundred years ago. So this whole childhood thing is a very new thing and, and children have it pretty good nowadays. Yeah. Well, I'm curious too, also from, from the entrepreneurial perspective too, you don't have like a, I mean, maybe now where you guys are at, like it feels I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything like that, but maybe it, maybe you do feel like you're at a stable growing point, but I can only imagine that at the outset of, of, of the entrepreneurial pursuit and kind of what you were building, it was anything less than stable or a guarantee. How did, how does that like, kind of influence that, um, the, the wife, the family, that kind of stuff, like knowing that you're in a space that is kind of chaos, um, to a degree and things can, you know, could go South. It's not as like, say, quote unquote, like consistent as like a, a paycheck or that people would believe that that would be more consistent. But I'm just kind of curious your take on that from, from the entrepreneur and the founder's perspective. Yeah. And, and I think there's things like there's stuff that you do now at the detriment of your, yourself or your family or your loved ones that are to the venture, um, to the, the, that will be beneficial in the future, right? So working long hours in the early days allows us to have more freedom a year, you know? So it is making those sacrifices, which, you know, ultimately are still for the family, you know, still for the wife, but it, it is very challenging for, for me. I've always been very conservative with my capital. So we've always had, a small savings set aside that we can live upon. And then when we started Beard Brand, the first 10 months, I, di I didn't pull anything out of the business. So, you know, what that meant to me was, you know, cutting all entertainment uh, because like, where's entertainment on my list? It's, it's pretty low. Not all entertainment. You got to have some entertainment, but you know, like material possessions, you know, like all the things that took a lot of money by having that prioritization, I knew it's like, okay, well, this, the business is pretty high on my list. I've got to be able to have the resources for that. It's above like friends. I appreciate it. I value it more than, than my friendships. And uh, I want to see it grow and be healthy. And then, um, you know, my wife also, uh, when we started, uh, she had a, a full-time job that because we lived pretty modestly and because we had savings, we were able to su survive on her income while we built the business. And then my business partners um, also worked other jobs. So it was kind of like a side hustle to, to get it started so that we could, again, go back to our core values, maintain that freedom and, um, and utilize our hunger and to, to push it to, to levels that maybe other people couldn't do. Do you think there's a kind of upon reflection, like think about this and, and, 
you know, where, where you're at now, think about these things like in terms of prioritizations and kind of balancing and, and also these like pillars that you, 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 I know you probably, you have a lot of conversations with entrepreneurs, um, especially people who are trying to get started, who are trying to grow something, build something, oftentimes bootstrapping, maybe in, in, in a lot of cases where, where you see these kind of things, like where you see typical things go south, um, either, maybe on the balancing side of things and any, any thoughts you could do in terms of like, if, if somebody had to kind of like snap out of it or, or if you could, you could help them like get through some of those, those, those typical challenges that you see, or those, those failure points, what would you, what would you recommend? I, I think probably the thing that's been most beneficial to us is the long-term vision, uh, for what we want to do. I think if, if you're, one of those entrepreneurs who wants to build a business and then three years or four years sell it, there's going to be a lot of volatility. Like there's just, that's the nature of beast. But when we build beard brand, it's like, how do we build a business that, you know, can, can give us an amazing life for the next 20 or 30 years. And then you're like, you know, what does this really matter in 30 years? You know, maybe we get there a year slower than what, or maybe we get there five years slower than what, you know, maybe it takes us 20 years to get to 5 million rather than, you know, five years. Um, but if we build the, the business in a way that is enjoyable during that journey and that we're not burning out and that we feel like we can commit to our families and commit to the business and, um, then it's, then it's a good thing. So I think having that long-term vision of what you want to do in your life and how you want your life to look and feel, and that you're making sure you're moving on that pathway will help you overcome kind of like the, the, the daily drama that comes along with, with business where, you know, like. Oh my God, we're out of stock or something. It seems like it's the end of the world. But in you know, ten years, are you going to remember that you're out of stock of this one skew? Probably not. So, so how crystal crystallizes that vision kind of when you talk about it? Like for you, like when you when you think about that as you describe it, because a vision can mean a lot of things. And I think me, I sometimes overcomplexify things, and I think, okay, a vision. It's like got to get super detailed and all this stuff. Maybe. Um, but I know the other side of it is probably maybe just more of a general direction, but maybe you can kind of like um, articulate what you mean by vision in that context. Yeah. 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 I would say my, my vision's pretty clear whether or not I got my wife uh, bought into my vision as you to be saying, but uh, like personally, I, I, my goal is to, to essentially buy or be able to, to live in four different properties around the world and, and travel uh, based on the season in different areas and, and give my family the ability to experience different cultures at an um, in-depth level. Um, so that's what I'm working towards. And, you know, what does that mean? Um, there's a few different ways. Like right now, it means that I can either try to build the business where I, I don't have to arrive on a daily basis. So I can work remotely, uh, which I feel like I've done a pretty good job. I'm, I'm going to Denmark for six Six weeks as my first kind of test to see how this will work. And if it works well and the company grows with me away, then I'll know that, you know, I, I can feel more confident kind of stepping away from um, pretty much all the day-to-day -day stuff. And um, there's, you know, counterintuitively or, you know, alternatively, it could also mean like, you know, building up cash reserves or, or passive income reserves that allow me to, to generate income without having to work. So like if I had uh, $5 million in the market, I could pull dividends on that. That would pay like a hundred million, excuse me, a hundred thousand dollars a year and not uh, pull out any capital. You know, but the reality of, of me getting to $5 million cash within the next, you know, short period of time is, is very unlikely. Um, 
So because that's unlikely, it, it forces me to like, how do I build uh, my role at Beard Brand to, to, to really be enjoyable and to, to, to allow me to do the things that I want. And um, yeah, I've kind of always, you know, had a vision for this and it goes back to the freedom. Like I just, I just want to do the things that I want to do. And another thing that's been, I, I know, notice is focus has always been a, a big thing for you too. Like you, you're very focused. Uh, I know when it, you finally made the switch, I know you bootstrapped this and it was on the side, but then there was a uh, kind of decision making point you, you made and, and it was go all in on, on beer brand. Uh, and I know you kind of been that way ever since. How, uh, tell me a little bit about that. You know, you have some, some of the hindsight now of seeing that kind of pan out successfully through, through a lot of variables, but, you know, just looking at this one kind of pivot point to say, I'm going to go all in on this. This is the thing I'm going to focus on. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I would say, first of all, I'm not a very focused person by default. I mean, it's kind of Mm. probably, probably why uh, freedom is so important to me because I I just, I want to be all over the place, right? I I don't want constraints. I don't want accountability. Um, I don't want people telling me what to do. I just want to be able to do whatever I want. And subsequently, I know, you know, for me, that's, that's a blessing and a curse. You know, it allows me to think creatively and come up with, you know, interesting products and unique um, solutions to things. But it also causes me to, to want to build a business that looks more like an oak tree rather than a pine tree. And I've kind of been... It's taken a very long time, but trying to focus my head and always remind myself, focus, 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 and try to build that pine tree where it's like really good at that one thing. And then maybe a couple of like the branches are just a couple of things that are pretty closely tied to that main thing rather than this broad tree where I have, you know, we, and I know this because I've done it. We had like Urban Beersman, which was like this lifestyle blog. And then we've had, you know, our Amazon store and then our UK business and then, you know, like I used to, I even made like uh, shirts and apparel at some point in time. And, you know, like my mind goes, goes everywhere. Um, so it is a constant reminder to myself that focus, 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 and we'll have quarterly themes at Beard Brand and uh, that will help us, you know, bring it all back to that focus. Like, what are we good at? Where do we bring value in the world? Let's do that, but better. Uh, so that's kind of been a, a big theme for us for the past two or three years. And, uh, I know for entrepreneurs, it's very challenging and uh, it does help to to just remind yourself to have that focus. Yeah. And to, and to not be, I guess, scared of it too, because like w- with where you guys are at too, it's like, if you wanted to branch out, you could m- more easily now, if you wanted to, which obviously would probably go counter to what you guys are doing at this point in time. But the, by, by focusing, by going more narrow, it, it always has, it's, 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 it's paradoxically seems to have that opposite effect of what you think it would be where it's like, Oh, I'm going to be pigeonholed and I can't grow. It's like, no zooming in, focusing, getting really good at that one thing is actually the, I think the path, it seems like to me the the interactions I have, the conversations I have, what I've seen in my own life, it's like, that's the path to actually like be able to do all the things you want to do is by zooming in and narrowing. I, I think that that applies to the business, to the marketing, to everything you do. Yeah, and I, I, I think it, it, it kind of has, you know, it's a really interesting thing too, because it, 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 it ties closely in with confidence because what it's saying is like, I know who I am. I know what I do. I know what I serve. And if this doesn't become a unicorn, I'm also okay with that. And being okay with not building the, the biggest, you know, richest, healthiest business is also takes a lot of confidence and saying like, I know this is never going to be a $10 million company or a million dollar company, but it's going to be the company that I love, you know, and it's going to be a company that brings a lot of value to my customers. 
And even though there's only, you know, a thousand customers potential that I'm okay with that. And, uh, I think that's, that's pretty powerful. And a lot of people are just, they're afraid, you know, they're afraid, like, you know, what will my friends and family think of me if I only built a $500,000 business, you know, and it doesn't matter, you know? I love it. No, and and honestly, I can't think of a better place. We go on and on, but what a great place I think to wrap up. It's just like, I think people are attracted to confidence too. Like, so you have to, but you can't fake it. It's like, it has to, it has to, you kind of have, you have to own it. You have to live it. And then just be confident in that decision. And you guys are a great testament to that because you haven't, uh, you know, you haven't made compromises uh, seemingly from the outside. Like it's like, you guys are good, good on the brand. You're very focused on the, the customers you have. And, uh, and it's, again, I think it just has driven the success you guys have had. That's at least one, one big element of it. I know there's a lot of things, but you guys, again, deserve kudos for that, for really just getting it, for really nailing it. Whereas like, that's a thing that is really difficult to do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We've, we've certainly made changes, um, and, and tried new things, but I would say everything we've done has been from our own volition or our own learning from what we've done. And then, you know, ultimately, pivoting or, or pointing the, the company in a direction that, that we believe is uh, going to align with our core values and our mission. I love it. Well, Eric, where can people reach out to find you, connect with you? Obviously, then go, go to Beard Brand to go get your products, but tell them, the floor is yours. Where can people reach out to find you? Yeah, uh, the most important thing to do is, uh, of course, invest in yourself. And you do that by going to beardbrand.com and you know loading up with a, a few hundred products. That would be great. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, uh, my two platforms are Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter is preferred for communication. So my handle is at Bamboles. And if you like to look at selfies of a bearded guy, then go to Instagram. And my handle there is uh, at Eric Bamboles. And then, of course, uh, all the beard brand properties. It would be great to follow those as well. Eric, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches, man. My pleasure, Tom. Are you trying to grow your online business, but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're something like that, right? And you love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time, and 12 and 14 hour days routinely after going full-time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone, I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, eCourses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, et cetera, I replaced my income with digital product income. 
two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it. I kept doing it. And eventually replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it. Because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort, thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is get back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding, is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond. And the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing, or Carrie, 
who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Kerry and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, and profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.